Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the mighty men of David as we pick up in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Now in chapter 12, these are they which came to David to Ziglag because he yet kept himself close because of Saul, the son of Kish, and they were among the mighty men, the helpers of war. They were armed with bows. They could use both the right hand and the left hand in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of the bow, even of Saul's brethren of Benjamin. And so these guys had practiced throwing with a sling with both hands. In case one hand gets injured or something, then you use the other and keep going at it. And uh, to throw the sling with the left hand was, was sort of a special kind of an art in those days. The guys were sort of set apart and they would develop, they would practice to develop great accuracy with a sling. Uh, a sling is an interesting little weapon, actually, and uh, you can develop quite a bit of accuracy with a sling. And of course, the stone that you can use in a sling is much larger than a stone in a slingshot. Uh, if you're using a slingshot, then you need small little stones uh, like marbles. But uh, with a sling, you can actually, the best stones are uh, about so big around. And uh, so you can do a lot more damage with a sling uh, than you can with a slingshot, and you can become extremely accurate because uh, you get your two leather strips, and of course you have a leather pouch in which you set your stone about the size of your hand, and you set the stone in that leather pouch, and then one of your leather straps is longer than the other, and you take the longer one and wrap it around your hand, and you hold it with your three fingers. And the other leather strap is uh, long enough that you hold it with your two fingers like so. And then you get this thing swinging and of course the longer your straps, the, the greater distance you can actually throw these rocks. And you can throw these rocks a huge distance if you get these, you know, get some real long straps and you get a big enough rock and you get that thing swinging out there and you get the momentum going as you swing it around in the air. And then on the last swing, you take it around and you let it fly over your head and you bring it with an overhand thrust. And you let go, when you bring it over your head with the overhand thrust, you let go of these two fingers, you know, the finger and the thumb. You let go of the one strap. And I'll tell you, that rock shoots out of there and you can throw them just at long distance, 300 feet or more, uh, these huge stones with a sling. So it is quite a weapon. And these fellows would practice not only with their right hands, but they'd practice throwing with their left hands too, these slings. And so it was really a, a very effective weapon in battle because you could uh, start wiping out uh, your enemy much further than what you could throw a rock. And uh, so, of course, it was with the sling that David wiped out the giant. Now, these men that came to David were skilled with the use of the sling and also with shooting arrows. And uh, then 
also came to David while he was in the land of the Philistines. In verse 8, those from the tribe of Gad. Now these men who came from the tribe of Gad were men of might, men of war, fit for battle. They could handle the shield and the buckler, and their faces were like the faces of lions. So I would imagine that they just had full beards and looked real tough. And they were as swift as deer upon the mountain. Of course, in those days, I imagine that they actually were in much better physical shape generally than we are. Because, you know, they didn't have cars and bicycles and stuff like that. They had to run or walk wherever they went. Uh, I go over to Israel today and I watch these shepherds as they walk up the hillsides and as they are following their flocks and so forth. And, and I think they must be in great shape because if you don't think so, you go out and try and run up the hillsides like they do. And uh, you'll really be panting before long. But you really get in good shape. Uh, and these, these men were all in, in tremendous physical condition, fast, fleet-footed, and uh, powerful guys. And they began to gather unto David. And uh, then we are told of those that came from the tribe of Benjamin. In verse 16, David went out to meet them. And he said unto them, If you come peaceably to help me, my heart will be knit to yours. But if you come to betray me to my enemies, seeing that I haven't done any wrong, then the God of our fathers look upon it and rebuke it. And the Spirit came upon Amasai, who was the chief of the captains, and he said to David, Thine we are, and we are on your side, thou son of Jesse. Peace be to thee. Now, here David, of course, becomes a beautiful type of Christ who had been anointed to be king over Israel, and yet Saul had despised him and rejected him and had forced him out of the land. And David is now waiting for God to give the kingdom over to him. But while he is waiting, men began to pledge their allegiance and loyalty to David. They began to gather unto David. Even as the scripture said, therefore, let us go out of the camp that we might, you know, be identified with Jesus Christ. And so they began to leave the camp and come out to David. And day by day, they gathered until it became a mighty host like the host of God. And so uh, they were men who made their commitment. We're yours. We belong to you and we're on your side. And so... Then when Saul was slain, these are the men that made David. They came down to Hebron and they said to David, come and rule over us. From the tribe of Judah, there were 6,800. From the tribe of Simeon, there were 7,100. From the tribe of Levi, 4,600 men. From the tribe of Benjamin, 3,000. From the tribe of Ephraim, 28,000 came down. From the half of the tribe of Manasseh, 18,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, men of war, all with armed for war, 50,000 that were able to keep rank and they were not of double heart. That says a lot of a person. One of the weaknesses is a person who is double-minded or a person who has a double allegiance. These men were not of double heart that came from Zebulun, 50,000 of them. From Naphtali, 
a thousand captains with 37,000 men. From the tribe of Dan, expert in war, came 28,600 men. From the tribe of Asher, those that went forth to battle, 40,000 men. And from the other side of the Jordan River, the Reubenites, all armed for war, and the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, there came 120,000 men. All men of war that could keep rank, they came with a perfect or a complete heart to Hebron to make David the king over all of Israel, and the rest of Israel were with one heart to make David king. Don't you imagine that as they came then from Hebron back to Jerusalem, that they were a tremendous host of guys as they gathered to David. Now, they had a big party down in Hebron. They started bringing donkey loads of food and bread from all over the place to feed this. You know, this many guys come to visit you, you got to feed them. And uh, can you imagine the logistics involved in feeding a crew like this? And uh, so they brought, uh, it says, the bread on donkeys and camels and mules. And they had a big party and all. And it says, there was joy in Israel. Now in chapter 13, David said, look, if it's your purpose to make me your king and all, if it seems good to you, and it, if it's of the Lord, then let us bring back the Ark of the Covenant that we might put it here at the tabernacle in Jerusalem. And so they came to Kirjath-Jerim, where the Ark of the Covenant had been placed. And they carried the Ark of the Covenant on a new cart that they had made. And Uzzah and Ahio were driving the cart. And David and all of Israel played before God with all their might, and with singing, and with harps, and with psalteries, and timbrels, and with cymbals, and with trumpets. So here, if you can now get in your mind the picture, they've gone down to Kirjath-Jerim to bring the Ark of the Covenant and all of the celebration, you know, the bands, the music, and out there dancing with all their might before the Lord and singing with the psalteries and the harps and, and, and this great time of rejoicing. We're bringing the, the sign of God's covenant with Israel back to dwell with us there in Jerusalem. And suddenly the cart began to wobble and it looked like the ark was going to fall off the cart and Uzzah, one of the drivers, put his hand up to steady it so it wouldn't fall and the wrath of God was kindled against Uzzah because they were strictly forbidden not to touch the ark and Uzzah died. And suddenly all of the mirth ceased. The songs, I mean, it was serious. It was sober. God moved on the scene, and it brought a real note of sobriety to the whole thing. And David said, hey, I can't dwell with anything that, that's, that is that holy. He said, leave it here. I'm going home. And so they, they just left the Ark of the Covenant there uh, in the house of Obed-Edom. And uh, he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah. Now, Perez means a breach. God made a breach against Uzzah. And uh, so the ark there was placed in the house of Obed-Edom. 
And David went back to Jerusalem. He was, he was angry at God. Angry because God stopped this glorious celebration and stopped David's intent of bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. Now, in this, we find a right thing being done in a wrong way. Now, it is not only important that we do right things, but it's important that we do right things in right ways. When the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant, when they were in battle against Saul, you remember the story how that everywhere the Ark of the Covenant went, boils would break out on the Philistines. And so finally, in every city, the men would get boils all over them where the Ark of the Covenant was brought. And so finally, as they started to take it to another city, the men from the city came out and said, Oh no, you're not bringing that thing here. We don't want it in our city. And so the Philistines then went to their prophets and they said, What shall we do? And they said, Send the thing back. Take an ox and make a cart and put it on the cart and just turn the uh, cows, actually not an ox, but turn the cows loose. And if the cows go right back to the camp of Israel, you know the thing is of God and let the thing go. Don't touch it. If the cows just sort of roam around like they're lost, then you know that uh, it was just all coincidental that boils happened to break out on you. And so they took these cows and they made this ark and they put the, uh, they made the cart, they put the ark on it and they turned the cows loose and they started just mooing and going straight towards the camp of Israel. The Philistines followed them and watched them go right on into the camp of Israel. Of course, when it came into the camp of Israel, there was great rejoicing at all. Now, the idea is when David then decided to bring the ark back to Jerusalem, a good, a good desire. But what did he do? He copied the method of transportation that was used by the Philistines. Now, God in the law had commanded that whenever the Ark of the Covenant was moved, that it should be borne by four of the priests on staves. The, the Ark had these golden rings on the side, and they would put these sticks through these rings so that they wouldn't touch it. And there would be four fellows that would hold these staves on their shoulder, and the Ark would be, of course, in the middle of them. And that is how the Ark was to be transported. That was under the law of Moses. Now David was doing a right thing, but he was doing it in a wrong way. He was following, really, the worldly pattern of the Philistines in taking a cart, making a cart and oxen and pulling it. He was following the Philistines' way of doing things. Now I do believe that the church is guilty many times, or parachurch organizations are guilty many times of trying to use worldly methods for doing the work of God. Now, that which we seek to do is right. We seek to bring men to Jesus Christ. But we get a bunch of suede shoe Madison Avenue advertiser men, and we say, now set up a program for us, an advertising program and all, and we're trying to use worldly methods to do the work of God. Now, you're trying to do a right thing. You want to get men to Jesus Christ, but you're doing it in the wrong way. God didn't say that we were to get fancy advertising schemes and, 
and all of this kind of stuff to bring men to Jesus Christ. A lot of work for God, legitimate work that should be done, is done in a wrong way. And so because we have been doing things in a wrong way, then we've got to raise funds to support the wrong way method of doing things. And we make a travesty of God by the way we get up to raise funds. It is a shame the methods that people use to extract money for the so-called work of God. I am embarrassed as a Christian of the junk that goes on on television in their fundraising efforts and methods. It, to me, is an absolute embarrassment. And they are motivating people the wrong way. Now, David had to raise, or Moses had to raise funds for the building of the tabernacle. What did he do? All of you that would like to contribute to the building of the tabernacle, just bring it in and dump it. He didn't go around, you know, getting pledges or jumping up and down and running around the place, putting on a show. And the people started bringing the funds until finally they had to stop. And they say, stop, stop. We've got too much. Quit. No more. You can't give any more. Didn't make it? That's too bad. You're out of luck. Now, Paul the Apostle tells us in the New Testament, writing to the Corinthians, he said, Now every man as he's purposed in his own heart, so let him set aside for the Lord. But don't let your giving be out of constraint. Never should your giving to God be pressured giving. It is wrong to seek to pressure people to give to God. And yet, how many times we notice that the whole tactic is that of pressure tactics. Professional letter writers to write the appeals and all kinds of idiotic gimmicks are used by these people to raise funds. When a person has to degrade to those type of efforts, then something's wrong with the work that they are seeking to do. I am thoroughly convinced when God guides, God provides. And if you tell me that you're not getting the money to do this great program God has laid upon your heart, I'll have to say God didn't lay it upon your heart. When you have to resort to worldly ways and do things after the pattern of the world, it's not of God, it's not of the Spirit of God. David made a tragic mistake. He wanted to do the right thing. There was nothing wrong with the desire, but he was doing it in a wrong way. God never intended for us to use the Madison Avenue techniques to sell Jesus Christ to the world or to use all of these fundraising techniques that people stoop to to raise funds for the work of God. Poor God. He's almost broke. <laughs> All the time. He lives on the verge of financial disaster. <laughs> if you don't come through this week, God's had it.
What kind of a God is it who never can take care of his own program? As I say, it embarrasses me. I'm humiliated by it. So David said, hey, leave it here. I'm not going to take that back to Jerusalem. And they took it into the house of Obed-Edom. And then God began to bless Obed-Edom tremendously because the Ark of the Covenant was there at his house. And so David said, hey, let's get the thing back to Jerusalem. Let's do it again. Only this time, he had gone back to the law of Moses. He said, let's have four priests. And we'll take and let them bear it between them and so forth. And, and we'll offer sacrifices and, and unto the Lord. And so they went out again with the worshiping and with the praising, the offering of sacrifices. Before the ark, they would go so many paces and they'd offer a sacrifice. And the priests were carrying it. And David put on just a linen, took off his royal robes as a king, and he put on just a linen ephod, which was a sort of a, the robes that the priest wore in service. And he just put on sort of the priestly servant's garments and was with the people, among the people. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of First Chronicles on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order First Chronicles 12-13 through 13 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and bless you and keep you. May he bring you into a fresh awareness of his presence, and may you experience a fresh work of God within your life, so that your life might be pleasing to him as you rejoice in the Lord always. God bless and God keep. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Hey, I want to tell you about a biblical counseling ebook by Chuck Smith. It's pretty easy to download and takes only a minute. I can't tell you how grateful I am for something like this. It's a game changer for anyone who needs to counsel or talk with someone on the spot. Like when I'm talking with my friends and a complicated issue comes up, I can do a quick search on my phone and get immediate answers that lead them to God's Word. So not only do I get Pastor Chuck's commentary, but I can find out what the Bible says about it. There's seriously so many helpful topics, like dating or self-image, 
lust, waiting on God, or even what certain religions or cults mean. I could even use this when I have a question myself. To download the Biblical Counseling ebook by Chuck Smith, or to preview a demo, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link provided. To find out more, you can call 1-800-272-9673. 1-800-272-9673.